everybody, and today we are reading both chapter 6, the beginning of Uncle Andrew's trouble, and chapter 7, what happened at the front door. Chapter 6, the beginning of Uncle Andrew's troubles. Let go, let go, screamed Polly. I'm not touching you, said Diggory. Then their heads came out of the pool and... Once more, the sunny quietness of the wood between the worlds was all about them, and it seemed richer and warmer and more peaceful than ever after the staleness and the ruin of the place they had just left. I would think that, if they had given the chance, they would again have forgotten who they were and where they came from and would have laid down and enjoyed themselves, have asleep, listen to the growing of the trees. But this time... There is something that kept them as wide awake as possible. For as soon as they got onto the grass, they found that they were not alone. The queen, or the witch, whichever you'd like to call her, had come up with them, holding on fast by Polly's hair. That is why Polly had been shouting, let go. This proved, by the way, other, another thing about the rings which Uncle Andrew had told Diggory, because he didn't know it himself. In order to jump from world to world by using one of these rings, you didn't need to be touching or wearing it yourself, as it is though you're touching someone else who is touching it. In that way, they work like a mag magnet. If anyone knows that if you pick up with a pin with a magnet, the other pin, which is touching the first pin, will come too. Now that you saw in the wood, Queen Jadis looked different. She was much paler than she had been, so pale that hardly any of your beauty was left. She was stooped and seemed to be finding it hard to breathe, as if air of that place stifled her, or stifled her. Neither of the children felt in the least afraid of her now. Let go, let go of my hair, said Polly. What do you mean by it? Here, let go of her hair at once, said Diggory. They both turned and struggled with her. They were stronger than she, and in a few seconds, they had forced her to let go. She reeled back, panting, and there was a look of terror in her eyes. Quick, Diggory, said Polly. Change rings and jump into the home pool. Help! Help! Mercy! cried the rich in a faint voice, staggering at them. Take me with you! You cannot mean to leave me in this horrible place. It is killing me. It is a reason of state, said Polly spitefully. Like when you killed all those people in your own world. Do be quick, Diggory. And they had put on their green rings, but Diggory said, Oh, bother. What are we to do? He couldn't help being a little sorry for the queen. Oh, don't be such an ass, said Polly. Ten to one, she's only shamming. Do come on. And then both children plunged into the home pool. It's a good thing we made that mark, said Polly. But as they jumped, Diggory felt a large, cold finger and thumb caught him that had caught him by the ear. And they sank down to the confused shapes of our own world began to appear. The grip of that finger and thumb only grew stronger. The witch was apparently recovering her strength. Diggory struggled and kicked, but it was not the least of use. In a moment, they found themselves in Uncle Andrew's study, and there was Uncle Andrew himself. 
staring at the wonderful creature that Diggory had brought back from beyond the world. And well, he might stare. Diggory and Polly stared too. There is no doubt that the witch got over her faintness. And, and now one saw her on her own world, with ordinary things around her. She fairly took one's breath away. In Sharn, she looked alarming enough. In London, she was terrifying. For one thing, they had realized till now how very big she was. Hardly human was what Diggory thought, thought when he looked at her. And he may have been right. For, there, for some say there might, there is giantish blood in the royal family of Charm. But even her height was nothing compared with her beauty, her fierceness, and her wildness. She looked ten times more alive than most of the people one meets in London. Uncle Andrew was bowing and rubbing his hands and looking, to tell the truth, extremely frightened. He seemed a little shrimp of a creature beside the witch, and yet, as Polly said afterwards, there is sort of a likeness between her face and his, something the expression. It was the look that all wicked magicians have, the mark which Jada said she could not find in Diggory's face. One good thing about seeing the two together is that you would never again be afraid of Uncle Andrew, any more than you'd be afraid of a worm after you met a rattlesnake or afraid of a cow after, after you'd met a mad bull. Pooh, thought Diggory to himself. Him? A magician? Not much. Now she's the real thing. Uncle Andrew kept on rubbing his hands and bowing. He was trying to say something very polite, but his mouth had gone all dry so that he could not speak. His experiments with the ring as he called it, was turning more successful than he liked. For though he dabbled on, in the magic for years, and he always left all the dangers as far as one can to other people, nothing at all like this had ever happened to him before. Then Jada spoke, not very loud, but there was something in her voice that made the whole room quiver. Where is the magician who has called me into this world? Madame, guess dumped Andrew, I, I'm most honored, highly gratified, most unexpected pleasure. If, if only I had the opportunity of making preparations. Uh, uh. Where is the magician's fool, said Jadis. Uh, I am, madame. I hope you'll excuse uh, any, uh, literally, these, uh, Naughty children may have taken. I assure you, there is no intention. You? Said the queen in a still more terrible voice. In one stride, she seized a great handful of Andrew's gray hair and pulled his head back so his face looked up into hers. Then she studied his face just as she had studied Diggory's face in the Palace of Charm. He blinked and licked his lips nervously all the time. At last, she let him go. Suddenly, so suddenly that he reeled against back a wall. I see, she said scornfully. You are a magician of sort. Stand up, dog. Don't sprawl as if there you were speaking to your equals. How do you come to know magic? You are not of royal blood. I'll swear. Well, uh, 
Not perhaps in the strict sense, stammered Uncle Andrew. Not exactly royal, ma'am. The Kettleys are, however, a very old family. An old Dorsetshire family, ma'am. Peace, said the witch. I see what you are. You are a little peddling magician who works by rules and books. There is no real magic in your heart. Your kind was made of, of in my world a thousand years ago. But here I shall allow you to be my servants. I should be most happy, <gasps> delighted to be of any service. A pleasure, I assure you. Peace, you talk far too much. Listen to your first task. I see we are in a large city. Procure for me at once a chariot, I want a chariot or a flying carpet or a well-trained dragon, whatever is usual and ro for royal and noble persons in the land. Then bring me to places where I can get clothes and jewels and sla slaves fit for my rank. Tomorrow, I'll begin the conquest of the world. I'll go and order a cab at once, said, gasped Uncle Andrew. Stop, said the witch, just as he reached the door. Do not dream of treachery. My eyes can see through walls and into the minds of men. They'll be on you wherever you go. At first signs of disobedience, I will lay such spells on you that anything you sit down will feel like red-hot iron. And when... And when you lie in a bed, there will be invisible blocks of ice at your feet. Now go. The old man went out, looking like a dog with a tail between his legs. The children were now afraid that Jadis would have something to say about them, about what happened at the wood, or in the wood. As it turned out, however, she mentioned it neither then or afterward. I think in Diggory thinks, too, that her mind was a sort that can't, cannot remember that quiet place at all. And how often you took her there, and however long you left her there, she'd still know nothing about it. Now that she was left alone with the children, she took no notice of either of them. And I was like her too, because in Charm, Charm, he had taken no notice of Diggory till the very end, because Diggory is the one she wanted to make use of. Now that she had Uncle Andrew, she took no notice of Diggory. I expect most witches are like that. They are not interested in things or people unless they can use them. They are terribly practical. So there was silence in the room for a minute of two. But you tell, by the way, Jadis tapped on her foot on the floor. She was growing impatient. Presently, she said, what is the old fool doing? Should have brought a whip. She stalked out of the room in pursuit of Uncle Andrew without one glass glance at the children. Whew, said Polly, letting out a long breath of release. And now I get home. It's frightfully late. I shall catch it. Well, do. Do come back as soon as you can, said Diggory. This is simply ghastly, having her here. We must make some sort of plan. That's up to your uncle now, said Polly. It, it was he who started all this messing with, about with magic. All the same, will you come back, won't you? Hang it all, and you can't me leave me alone in a scrape like this. I shall go home by the tunnel, said Polly rather coldly. That'll be, that'll be the quickest way, and if you want me to come back, hadn't you better say you're sorry? Sorry? exclaimed Diggory. Well, now, 
That isn't just like a girl. What have I done? Oh, nothing, of course, said Polly sarcastically. Only nearly screwed my wrist off in that room with all the waxworks like a cowardly bully. Only struck the bell with the hammer like a silly idiot. Only turned back in the woods so that she had time to catch hold of you before we jumped into a pool. That's all. Oh, said Diggory, very surprised. Well, all right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about what happened in the waxworks room. There. Waxworks room. There. I said I'm sorry. And now, do be decent and come back. I shall be in a frightful hole if you don't. Well, I don't see what's going to happen to you. It's Mr. It's going to be Mr. Ketterly who's going to sit down on Red Hog chairs and have ice in his bed, isn't it? It isn't that sort of thing," said Diggory. "I'm bothered about what I'm, what I'm bothered about is Mother. Suppose that creature went to their room. She might have frightened her to death." "Oh, I see," said Polly in a, in a rather different voice. All right, we'll call Pax. I'll come back if I can. But I must go now. She called through the little door into the tunnel, in that dark place among the rasters that had seemed so exciting and adventurous a few hours ago, seemed quite tame and lonely now. We must now go back to Uncle Andrew. His poor heart went pit-a-pat as he staggered down the attic stairs and kept up dabbing at his forehead with a handkerchief. When he reached his bedroom, which was the floors below, he locked himself in. And the very first thing he did was to grope in his wardrobe for a bottle and a wine glass, which he, which he always kept hidden there where Aunt Letty could not find them. He poured himself a glass full of some nasty grown-up drink and drank it off in one gulp. Then he drew a deep word. Breath. Upon my word, he said to himself, I'm, I'm dreadfully shaken, most upsetting, and at my time in my life. He poured out a second glass and drank it too, and he began to change his clothes. You have never seen such clothes, but I can remember them. He put out a very high, shiny, stiff collar of the sort that made you hold your sh chin up all the time. He put on a white waistcoat with a pattern on it, and arranged his gold watch chain across the front. He put on his best frock coat, the one that he kept for weddings and funerals, and he got his best tall hat and polished it all up. There was a vase of flowers put there by Aunt Letty on his dressing table. He took one and put it in his buttonhole. He took a clean handkerchief, a lovely one such as you couldn't buy today, out of the little left-hand drawer and put a few drops of scent in it. Then he took his eyeglass with a thick black ribbon and screwed it into his eye. Then he looked at himself in the mirror. Ch children have one kind of silliness, as you know, and grown-ups have another kind. At this moment, Uncle Andrew was beginning to be silly in a very grown-up way. Now that, now that the witch was no longer in the same room with him, and he was quickly forgetting how she had frightened him, and thinking more and more of her wonderful beauty. He kept on saying to himself, a damn fine woman, sir, a damn fine woman, superb creature. He had also somehow managed to forget it was the children who got a hold of the superb creature. He, he, he felt as he himself by, this, by his magic had called her out of unknown, unknown worlds and 
Andrew, my boy, he said to himself as he looked in the glass. You're a devilish, well-preserved fellow for your age. A distinguished, good-looking man, sir. You see, the foolish old man was actually beginning to imagine the witch would fall in love with him. The two drinks probably had something to do with it, so he put on so he had his best clothes. But but he wasn't in any case as vain as a peacock. That is why he had become a magician. He locked the door, went downstairs, sent the hat handmaid out to fetch Hanson. Everyone had lots of servants in those days, and looked out into the drawing room. There, as he expected, found Aunt Letty. She was busily mending a mattress. It lay on the floor near the window, and she was kneeling on it. Ah, Letty, ah, my dear, said Uncle Andrew. I uh, have to go out. Just let me five pounds or more. Or so. There's a good gal. Gal was the way he pronounced girl. No, Andrew, dear, said Aunt Letty in her. Firm, quiet voice, without looking up from her work. I have told you times without number that I will not lend you money. Now pray, don't be troublesome, my dear gal, said Uncle Andrew. It's most important. You'll put me in a deducedly awkward position if you don't. Andrew, said Aunt Letty, looking him straight in the face. I, I wonder you are not ashamed to ask me for money. There was a long, dull story of a grown-up behind these kind behind these words. All you need to know is that Uncle Andrew, what with managing dear Letty's business matters for her, and never doing any work, and running up large bills for a brand new cigar, which Aunt Letty had paid again and again, made her a good deal porter than she had been 30 years ago. My dear Gail, said Uncle Andrew, you don't understand. I shall have have some quite unex unexpected expenses today. I have to do a little entertaining. Painting. Come now, don't be tiresome. And who, pray, you're, are you going to entertain, Andrew? Asked Aunt Letty. Uh, uh, most distinguished vi visitor that has just arrived. Distinguished fiddlesticks, said Aunt Letty. There are not had been a ring of the bell for the last hour that moment, the door was suddenly flung open. Aunt Letty looked around and saw with amazement that an enormous woman, splendidly dressed with bare arms and flashing eyes, stood in the doorway. It was the witch. That was the end of chapter six, the beginning of Uncle Andrew's Trouble. Next up is Chapter 7, What Happened at the Front Door. Chapter 7, What Happened at the Front Door. Now, slave, how long am I to wait for my chariot, thundered the witch. Uncle Andrew cowered away from her. Now that she was really present, all the silly thoughts that he had, while looking at himself in the glass, were oozing out of him. But Aunt Letty once got up from her from her knees and came over to the, of the room. And who is this? This and who is this young person, Andrew? I may ask. 
said, and Letty and Icy Tones distinguished friend a very, very important person, she stammered. Rubbish, said Aunt Letty. Then, turning to the witch, get out of my house this moment, you shameless hussy, or I'll send for the police. She thought the witch must be someone out of a circus, and she did not approve of bare arms. What woman is this, said Jadis. Down on your knees, minions, before I blast you. No strong language in this house, if you please, young woman, said Aunt Letty. Instantly, as it seemed to Uncle Andrew, the queen towered up to an even greater height. Fire flashed from her eyes. She flung out with her arm with the same gesture and the same horrible-sounding words that, late, that lately turned the palace gates of charred to dust. But nothing happened except that, that Aunt Liddy, thinking that these horrible words were meant to be ordinary English, said, I thought as much. This woman is drunk. Drunk! She can't even speak clearly. It must have been a terrible moment for the witch when she realized that her power of turning people into dust, which had been quite real in her own world, was not going to work in ours. But she did not lose her nerve even for a second. Without wasting a thought on her disappointment, she lunged forward, ca caught Aunt Letty around the neck and the knees, raised her high above the head as she was no heavier than a doll, and threw her across the room. While Aunt Letty was still hurtling through the air, the house mage, who was having a beautifully morning, exciting morning, put her head in the door and said, If you please, sir, the anthem's come. Lead on, slaves, said the witch to Uncle Andrew. He began muttering something about a regrettable voice, about uh, something about regrettable violence, must really protest. But a single glance from Jadis, he'd become speechless. She drove him out of the room and out of the house, and Diggory came running down the stairs just in time to see the front door close behind them. Jimey, he said, she's loose in London and with Uncle Andrew. I wonder what on earth is going to happen now. Oh, Master Diggory, said the housemaid, who was really having a wonderful day. I think Miss Ketterly wonder hurt herself somehow. So they both rushed into the drawing room and find out what happened. If, if Aunt Lenny f had fallen on the bare boards or even the carpet, I, was sure, I suppose all her bones had been broken, would have been broken. But, but by great good luck, she had fallen onto the mattress. Aunt Letty was a tough old lady. Aunts often were, aunts often were those, those days. After she had some salvotel and sat still for a few minutes, she said there's nothing with the matter except for a few breezes. Very soon she was taking charge of the situation. Sarah, she said to the housemaid, who had never had such a day before, go around the police station and tell them there's a dangerous lunatic at large. I'll take Mrs. Kirk's up, lunch up myself. Mrs. Kirk was, of course, Diggory's mother. When mother's lunch had had been seen into, Diggory and Aunt Letty had their room. After that, he did some hard thinking. The problem was how to get the witch back into her own world, or at any rate, out of ours, as soon as possible. Whatever happened, she, not, she must not be al allowed to go rampaging about the house. Mother must not see her, and if possible, 
She, not, she must not be allowed to go rampaging about London either. Dagger had not been in the drawing room when she tried to blast Aunt Letty, but, he had, but she, he had seen her blast at the gates of Charn. She knew her terrible powers and did not know that she had lost any of them by coming to our world. And he knew that she meant to conquer our world. At the moment, as far as he could see, she might be blasting Buckingham Palace or the House of Parliament, and almost it was almost certain that a quite a number of policemen had now been reduced to heaps of dust. And there he hadn't seen to be anything he could do about that. But the rain seemed to work like magnets, said thought Diggory. If only I touch her and then slip on my yellow, we, we shall both go to the wood between the worlds. I wonder, will she go all go faint again there? Or was that something that the place does to her? Or was it only a shock of being pulled out of her own world? Suppose I'll have to risk that. How am I, how am I to find the beast? I don't suppose Aunt Letty would let me go out unless I said where I was going. And I hadn't got more than two pence. I'd need any amount of money for buses and trams if I went looking all over London. Anyways, I haven't had the faint—I haven't got the faintest idea where to look. I wonder if Uncle Andrew's still with her. It seemed in the end that the only thing he could do is wait and hope that Uncle Andrew and the witch would come back. And if they did, he must rush out and get a hold of the witch and put on his yellow wing before she had a chance to get into the house. This means that he must watch the front door like a cat watching a mouse's hole. He dared not to leave his post for a moment. So he went to the dining room and glued his face as they say, to the window. It was a bow window from which you could see the steps up to the front door and you could see up and down the street so that no one could reach the front door without your knowing. I wonder what Paul is doing, thought Diggory. He wondered about this for a good deal as the first slow half hour ticked on. But you need not wonder, for I am going to tell you. She had not, ho she had not home got home late for dinner with her shoes and stockings very wet. And they asked her where she had been and what on earth she had been doing. She said she had been out with Diggory Kirk. Until further questioning, she said. Under further questioning, he, she said that she got her feet wet in the pool of water, and that pool was in a wood. Asked where the wood was, she she said she didn't know. Asked if it was one in one of the parks, she said truthfully enough that she supposed it might be some a sort of park. From all this, Polly's mother got the idea that Polly had gone off without telling anyone to some part of London she didn't know and gone to a strange part and amused herself jumping into the puddles. As a result, she, she told us she'd been very naughty indeed and she, and, she, indeed, and she wouldn't be allowed to play with that cook boy anymore if anything of the sort ever happened again. She was given dinner with all the nice parts left out and sent to bed for two solid hours. It was a thing that happened to one quite often in those days. So as Diggory was staring out of the dining room window, Polly was lying in bed, and both were thinking how terribly slowly the time could go. I think myself I'd rather been in Polly's position. She would only have to wait for the end of her two hours 
But every few minutes, Diggory would hear a cab or a baker's van or a butcher's boy coming around the corner. And think, here she comes, and then find it wasn't. And in between these false alarms, for what seemed hours and hours and hours, the, the, talk, the clock ticked on, and one big fly, high up and far out of reach, buzzed against the window. It was one of those houses that got very quiet and dull in the afternoon, and always seen the smell of mutton. During this long waiting and watching, one small thing happened, which I shall have to mention, because anything important came of it later on. A lady called with some grapes for Diggory's mother, and the dining room door was open. Diggory couldn't help overhearing Aunt Letty and the lady, they talked in the hall. What lovely grapes, came uh, Aunt Letty's voice. I'm sure if any they'll do, do good, these would. But poor dear little Mabel. I'm afraid it, it, you, it would need fruit from the land of youth to help her now. Nothing in this world would do much. Then they both lowered their voices and said a lot more that he could not hear. If he heard just a bit about the land of youth a few days ago, he would have thought Aunt Letty was talking about meaning anything in particular the way grown-ups do, and it wouldn't have interested him. But he almost thought so now, but it suddenly flashed upon his mind that he now knew, even if Aunt Letty didn't, that there were really other worlds that, and that he himself had been in one of them. At that rate, there might be a real land of use somewhere. There might be almost anything. There might be fruit in some other world that might really cure his mother. And oh, well, you know how it feels when you begin hoping for something that you want desperately bad, badly, and you almost fight against the hope because it is too good to be true. And you've been disappointed so often before. That is how Diggory felt. It was no good trying to throttle his hope. It might really, really, it just might have to be true. So many odd things had happened already, and he had magic rings, so the worlds you can get to through every pool in the wood. He might as well hunt through them all, and then mother, well, again, everything right, right again. He forgot all about watching for the witch. His hand was already going into the pocket where he kept the yellow ring, and at once he heard a sound of galloping. Hello? What's that? Thought Diggory? Fire engine? I wonder what house is on fire. Great Scott, it's coming here. Why? It's her. I needn't tell you who he meant by her. First came the handsome, but there was no one sitting in the driver's seat. On the roof, not sitting, but standing on the roof. Swing with a superb Swam with superb balance as it came at full speed around the corner with one wheel in the air, with Jadis the Queen of Queens and the Terror of Charn. Her teeth were bared, her eyes shone like fire, and, and her long hair streamed out behind her like a comet's tail. She was flogging the horse without mercy. Its nostrils were red and red, and its sides were spotted with foam. It galloped madly up to the front door, missing the lamppost by an inch, and then reared up on its hind legs. 
The, hamish, the handsome crashed into the lamppost and shattered into several pieces. The witch, with a magnificent jump, had sprung clear just in time and landed on the horse's back. She settled herself aside and leaned forward, whispering things in its ear. They must have had they must have been things meant not to quiet but to madden it. It was on its hind legs again in this moment, and its neigh was like a scream. It was all hoofs and teeth and eyes and a tossing mane. Only a splendid rider would have stayed on its back. Before Digger had recovered his breath, a good many other things began to happen. A second handsome dashed up close and behind the first. Out of it there jumped a fat man in a frock coat and a policeman. Then came a third handsome with two more policemen. And after it, they came after twenty people. About twenty people, mostly errand boys on bicycles, all ringing their bells and letting out cheers and catcalls. Last of all came a crowd of people on foot. They were all very hard from running, but obviously enjoying themselves. Windows shot up in all the houses of that street, and a housemaid or butler appeared at every front door. They wanted to see the fun. Meanwhile, an old gentleman had begun to struggle shakily out of the ruins of the first handsome. Several people rushed forward to help him, but as one pulled him one way and another and another, perhaps he would have not got out quite as quickly on his own. Diggory guessed that the old gentleman must be old Uncle Andrew, but you couldn't see his face. His, his tall hat had been pushed down over it, or bashed down over it. Diggory rushed out and joined the crowd. That's the woman! That's the woman, cried the fat man, pointing at Jettis. Do your duty, stable. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth she's taking out my shop. Look at that rope of pearls she has around her neck. That's mine. She's given me a black eye, too. What's more? That she is. That she has, governor, said one of the crowd. And this lovely black eye I would li I'd wish to see. Beautiful w bit of work that must have been. Gore. Ain't she strong then? You ought to put a nice new beefsteak in it, mister. Is that what it wants? said a butcher's boy. Now then, said the most important of the policemen, what's all this here? I'll tell you she be began the fat man. When someone else come on, called out, don't let the old cove in the cab get away. He put her up to it. The old gentleman, who is certainly Uncle Andrew, had just succeeded in standing up and was rubbing his bruises. Now then, said the policeman, turning to him, what's all this? said came Uncle Andrew's voice from inside the hat. None of that now, said the policeman sternly. You will find this no laughing matter. Take off that hat, off. This was more easily said than done, but after Uncle Andrew had struggled in vain with the hat for some time, two other policemen seized it by the brim and forced it off. Thank you, thank you, said Uncle Andrew in a faint voice. Thank you, dear me. 
Dear, dear me, I'm terribly shaken. If someone give me a small glass of brandy. Now attend to me, if you please, said the policeman, taking out a very large notebook and a very small pencil. Are you in charge of that there young woman? Look out! called several voices, and the policeman jumped a step backwards just in time. The horses aimed a kick at him, which would probably have killed him. Then the witch wheeled the horse around so that she paced the crowd, and its hind legs were on the footpath. She had a long, bright knife in her hand, and she had been busily cutting the horse free from the wreck of the hansom. All this time, Diggory's trying to get to a position from the, from the witch, from which he could touch the witch. This was not, was, was not at all easy, because on his side nearest to him, there were too many people, and in order to get around to the other side, he had to pass between the horse's hooves and the railing of the area that surrounded the house. Porto Calderley's house had a basement. If you know anything about horses, especially if you've seen what a state that horse in the moment horse was in at that moment, you'll realize this was a ticklish thing to do. Digger knew lots about horses, but he set his teeth and he got he got ready to take a dash for it as soon as he saw a favorable moment. A red faced man in a bowler hat neck had now shuddered his way to the front of the class. Hi, policeman, he said. That's my horse. What she's sitting on. Same as, same as it's my cab, what she's made matchwood of. One at a time, please, one at a time, said the policeman. But there ain't no time, said the cabbie. I know what the, hor- the horse better than you do. Tank got an ordinary horse. His father was an officer charging the cavalry, he was. And if the young woman goes on hexing him, exiting him, there'll be murder done. Here, let me get at him. The policeman was only too glad to have a good reason for standing further and further away from the horse. Now the cabbie took a step nearer and looked up at Janice. And he said in an uncommon voice, No, Missy, let me get at his kid. Now you get off. You're a lady, and you don't want all those roughs going for you, do you? You want to go home and have a nice cup of tea so you lay down quite like and you'll feel ever so much better. At this time, he stretched out his hand towards the horse's head with the words, Steady, strawberry, old boy. Steady now. And then for the first time, the witch spoke. Dog! Came her cold, clear voice, ringing loud above all over noises. Dog! Unhand our royal charger. We are the Empress Jadis. This is the end. That was the end of chapter 7. I hope you enjoyed.